السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد ما شاء الله it's great to feel the warmness of being together on such a cold day and it's amazing how the certain things that we can do despite the cold weather and freezing temperatures just getting together in the house of Allah in, in this manner for no other reason but to please him and for a greater good this in itself has its own special warmth uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to meet like this on a regular basis let's have a quick recap of uh, last week's lesson inshallah lesson number 26 who can uh, Good. Okay, that, that's good. We've got like different signposts there for the whole journey that we had. Anyone wants to add anything to that? Uh, we'll, we'll take the youngster first. Is that okay, Maulana? Yeah. Mashallah, that's very well remembered. Did you find that quite fascinating? What, what, if, what if you went everywhere and you had this cloud above you? That'll be quite cool, right? And it, it, it's, it's such a thing where we, these, these are things which I think need to be mentioned. Our youngsters and even elders as well were so impressed by superheroes and the Marvel characters, and, and which is totally not real. It's not true. Imagine like being able to relate to something like that. This was actually true. These were true miracles that were happening, which were witnessed. They weren't made up. Millions of and millions of dollars were not spent just to make it up, and it's it's a it's a whole lie, it's a fantasy. This was true, uh, and it was happening wherever he went. Anything else? Yes. Very good, mashallah, between the shoulder blades, uh, the sign of prophethood. And can anybody remember how Bahira described uh, the sign of the seal of prophethood, shall we call it, between the shoulder blades? Apple, very good, mashallah. As usual, uh, Brother Ahmed's given a very detailed explanation, very well remembered, even though we, the messages are not going out currently, but it's all from memory, as we can see. Um, so the messages are all there, it's just, there's one week's that was, wasn't there, so because of that, the following ones are all there. So inshallah, once um, that one's done, we'll send them out in order. Go on, Maulana. MashaAllah, I, I, I love the way Maulana's just given it context. That what's the link? Okay, we've said all these different pieces, but coming back to our original topic of discussion is the Prophet Wasallam's connection to Asham, and then how Maulana took it right to the beginning. What did he say? 
where the mother of the Prophet ﷺ saw the light illuminating him. That was the, the first. Many, most Muslims, if not all, would start and end with the Prophet ﷺ's connection to Baytul Maqdis with Isra and Mi'raj. That's where we, and it was a great event. Okay, so we're not taking any, anything away from the significance of the event itself. However, for majority of the Muslims, 99.99, or even at Sinin, almost 100%. When you ask them, what was the relationship of the Prophet ﷺ with Masjid Al-Aqsa, Bayt Al-Maqdis, this will be the first and the only answer people will give. And it, and, but it goes much beyond that. And we can see from these instances, and especially just look at the birth, and there's a huge connection there. Uh, anything else? Anything we might have missed out? Children, reminders of anything? Yes. MashaAllah. Wow, that's, that's very well remembered. When no one else could remember. Well, what's your name again? Naeem. Very good. So Naeem's reminding us of the special tree. Would you like to sit under that tree? Yeah? Imagine sitting under that tree and people go and visit that tree. And I've not been myself, um, but I've heard a lot of people who have and we see pictures. And it's quite fascinating because there's, like, there's no greenery anywhere in that whole area. And there's just one tree. People go and see that tree. Um, uh, some people refer to it as the Sahabi tree because it witnessed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and there's nothing else around in that area. So he sat under that tree and they were told that no, no one sits beneath this tree except a Prophet. Uh, so that's a, again a, a, another fascinating thing that happened on that journey. Very good. Anything else? I'm going to cheat and I'm going to look at my notes. I, I, I've, I've got my notes. Uh, we ended on Tabuk, which, you, which you've already mentioned. Um, okay, one, one thing we did mention, um, which is not, yes. Yeah. Okay, mashallah, that's good as well. I think we missed that part out as well where he went with Maysara, which was mentioned, but the fact that how he was being covered at that time as well with the clouds and how well he did in the business. Very good. Um, there, there is one thing with, which has not been mentioned, uh, which kind of tied in with the previous ones as well, in terms of if you look at when did all of these events take place, the summer, um, and then we concluded with Tabuk, and Quran says it very clearly, um, where there was a discussion amongst it was a very testing time because that was when the dates were ready and it was really really hot and the munafiqeen said don't go it's too hot to go out and the verses of the Quran came down uh, Allah says in the Quran that you think this is hot the fire of Jahannam is much more intense in heat and this is if Allah is telling you to go you need to go okay what was the campaign Clouds. <laughs> we can't forget this one. You can't forget clouds. Clouds in the UK. It's it's one of those things. Okay, so it, it, it's 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 quite a beautiful way of not only remembering Masjid al-Aqsa, which we're trying to speak about, but just remembering the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That that is. I mean, you, I don't think there's anything greater than that. Um, being mindful of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in our day-to-day, -day, um, just going about things. Uh, thinking about him, 
how he was in different stages of his life. It's, it's a very spiritual thing to do. Uh, our Hazrat Rahmatullahi used to say, um, if you ever want to feel closeness to Allah, like instantly, if you want to like break away from all the normal protocols of, you know, going to going for Hajj or going to a Sheikh or, you know, going through a rigorous process or waking up in the night and praying to Hajjud for so many years. If you want to like remove all those obstacles that are in your path and all the struggles, not to say they're not, they're all, they're all important and they're all things that we should do. But if you want like a quick access to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his love and for your heart to become radiant instantly, he goes, the easier, everyone's got the tool to do that. Everybody can do it. You just need a couple of moments. That's it. You don't need any, you don't need to spend anything to go anywhere. You don't need to be in any place. You can be anywhere. Just be yourself. Be with yourself. All you have to do is just switch off for a moment and just think of the Prophet ﷺ in any given moment. And then he, he would give an example to us. He would say, when I see a young child, a six-year-old child, he goes, I just pause for a moment and I imagine the Prophet ﷺ when he was witnessing his mother dying in the middle of nowhere. He goes, this is deep, this is powerful. This connects you to the Prophet ﷺ. He goes, you'll actually feel the darkness of your heart shedding away. You'll actually feel that. And you'll feel your heart filling up with the nur of Allah. Because this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. If you want the love of Allah, then you have to love the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is the only path. There's no other way. There's no other way. Our ultimate goal for every, every Muslim is to reach Allah. Many people don't realize to reach Allah, you have to go through the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's why in the stages, uh, I don't want to get technical, but amongst the... The, the scholars or the Sufis, shall we say, when they talk about the stages of reaching Allah, like Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah, Madarijus Salikin, the steps of those treading the path of Allah to reach Allah, our destination is Allah in everything we do. In those steps, in that journey, the station of annihilating yourself in the love of the Prophet. That comes before annihilating yourself in the love of Allah. So if you are not able to become an embodiment of the love of the Prophet and the Sunnah, inevitably you won't be able to get the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Quran says it very clearly, in kuntum Allah, if you want to love Allah, if you claim to love Allah, fattabi'uni, then follow the Prophet in everything. Then Allah will love you as well. So when we talk about these things, um, so if, if it's the clouds, and it just brings you back to those memories of the seerah, this is why it's important to know the seerah. Because how will you be able to uh, remember the Prophet if we don't know anything about him? And then that link to the journeys to Ashama and Masjidul Aqsa. <clears throat> okay, let's move on. Uh, today is lesson number 27. Now, I'm really excited today because in our series, we're going to have a little bit of a twist now. Um, so we were going straight all this time. We're going to have a bit of a turn in the road. So the, the, the topic of discussion is still the same. That's not going to change. We're going to be committed to that. We've started on that. And we're going to be committed to that, inshallah. How Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam planted the love of Masjidul Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah. However, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a slight turn in our direction. And we're going to focus towards another um, kind of a goal. And what, what we're going to understand now is this is going to be part one of... So in our series, we've got like a subheading now. And this is going to be about the Sahaba in Baytul Maqdis and Palestine. So today we'll call it the Sahaba in Baytul Maqdis in Palestine, part one. And we're going to see, because they understood the Prophet ﷺ the most. When we speak about how Rasulullah ﷺ planted the love of Masjid al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah, it was in their hearts that he planted it first. So we're going to see how did they understand this. And 
Through this journey, we're going to learn how they were connected to the land of Palestine and Baytul Maqdis. Um, so, let's go. So, the number of Sahaba that came to Asham during the conquest of Asham and then in the subsequent years to come are so many that it's impossible and difficult to enumerate. If somebody wants to sit down and try and count which, how many and which Sahaba went to Asham, I don't think anybody will be able to. I don't think anyone has been able to do that because there were so many. And to understand this, I'm going to highlight about five different historic events just to give us an idea of the sheer number of Sahaba that went to Asham for different purposes. Why did they go? We'll speak about that in the future lessons. But this is a whole new direction that we're taking now. Uh, you guys don't seem as excited as I am though. Not yet anyway. But I've got something very sort of transformational coming at the end today. So in terms of our um, campaign, I, I know this one everyone's going to do. So you're going to really enjoy that. Um, so the first thing, first event, significant event is most of those Sahaba that participated in the Battle of Yarmouk. A lot of you will have heard of the Battle of Yarmouk. You might not know what it's about, but it was a battle fought during the time of the Sahaba, um, which then led to the conquest of Asham as well. So it was a very significant event. And most of the Sahaba that took part in the Battle of Yarmouk, and Yarmouk is located north northeast from on the northeastern border of Palestine you could say yeah that going up that way so most of the Sahaba that took part in the battle of Yarmouk most of them would have entered Palestine as well most of them now you think well why would you need to know that well the reason is that in in that group of Sahaba there were a thousand people Amongst them, a hundred were the participants of Badr. So just giving you numbers at the moment. So the, from the thousand, most of them would have been to Palestine, Baytul Maqdis, and possibly even Masjid al-Aqsa as well. So that's one figure for you. Another incident is the Sahaba that were in the army of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah that accompanied him at the, the Tabariyah, um, Tiberius, is that how we say it? And thereafter, after Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah passed away, Iyad ibn Ghanam uh, was appointed the leader by Umar and then they went into uh, some of the other neighboring countries and he was known as the conqueror of um, Iraq as well and those areas. Most of them would have also entered Palestine Baytul Maqdis. And in that army, there were 2,000 people. So you've got 1,000 Sahaba in the first incident, Yarmouk. They would have entered most of them. You've got another 2,000 here. Number three, we all know of the story when Sayyidina Umar who gave the assurance of peace to the people of Jerusalem. Yes? When he comes to Jerusalem, and then he gives the people of Jerusalem the assurance of safety that your churches will be respected, your women, your children will be respected, your religious symbols will be respected, none of this will be taken away from you as long as you continue paying the, the jizya. And if you pay that, you're like, you know, we'll treat you like we treat our own people. And we all know then it was time for salah, wasn't it? So the Umar who said to the patriarch of the time, according to one of the historic narrations, that show me the masjid of Dawud alayhi salam. So he said, come on, let's go. And he showed him the masjid. The narration mentions Umar radiallahu ta'ala who left with his sword hanging by his side. And with him, there were 4,000 sahaba. I don't think we thought of this part. With him, there were 4,000 sahaba on this occasion who came with him. 4,000 Sahaba, they continued alongside Umar radiallahu ta'ala towards Masjid al-Aqsa 
while with their swords hanging by their sides. So that's just giving you numbers at the moment to give you an idea of how many Sahaba and how much they gave importance to this of going there, visiting there, knowing its virtues. Because we've been speaking about all these virtues all this time. But we need to back it up as well. Okay, if it was so important, then why don't we know about any of the Sahaba going there? Well, I'm just giving you numbers at the moment. Another incident is when Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he decided to dispatch some armies towards Asham. So this is Umar uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala was only the Khalifa for how many years? Two years only. So even in those two years when he had major challenges, the Prophet has just passed away. People are turning away from Islam. There, are, there were individuals that said, we're not going to give zakat anymore. There were those who said, we're not going to pray anymore. And then there were those who were claiming to be prophets. You know, someone claimed that I'm a prophet now. So he was dealing with all of that. Despite that, he decided to dispatch armies towards Asham. And when he decided to dispatch the armies, before sending the main armies, he sent Amr ibn al-As ahead, that you go first. When he left Medina Munawwara, do you know how many Sahaba were with him? So this is the first army just going to check things out. 3,000 Sahaba were with him. And amongst them, most of them were Muhajireen and Ansar. That's something huge as well. So just look at the numbers we're talking about. One more incident I'm going to share with you is reported by Imam Abu Dawood in his Sunan that a Sahabi, Ya'la ibn Shaddad, anhu, he says that I accompanied Sayyiduna Muawiyah anhu, in Baytul Maqdis in Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is in Abu Dawood. He says, I was with Muawiyah anhu, in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Muawiyah anhu, led as in Jumu'ah. So he was the Imam for Jumu'ah in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Do you know you pray sometimes, like Adil Bayi today as well, I saw him after Fajr, he's looking around like, is he here or not? He's looking for me, right? Is he here or not? So he says, after the Jumu'ah, he, he said, I turned around, you know, sometimes you look back and you think, how many people are there? Or you're looking for an individual, or you just want to see, you know, what's the turnout? So he goes, I turned back, and he goes, most of the masjid, it was full of sahaba, they were all sahaba. He goes, I look back and everybody I looked at, they were all the sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ in Masjid Al-Aqsa, majority of them, he says. That's something huge. So this, this tradition, this culture, this attitude towards Masjid Al-Aqsa continue. We're going, we're talking about later on, during the time of Muawiyah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. says, whilst I was there, I looked back and majority of the people, inside Masjid Al-Aqsa were the Sahaba of the Prophet So these examples go to show that there were a huge number of Sahaba that visited Palestine. However, most of the names of the Sahaba that visited Masjid Al-Aqsa are unknown. We don't know most of their names. Why? So we know, we know some of the names and if somebody was to try and collect them, and some people have tried to collect these names of those, and we'll be going, this is what we'll be going through. This is a whole twist in our series. We're going to go towards this direction. We're going to understand this in much more depth of the Sahaba who visited Masjid Al-Aqsa or Palestine or Asham, and how they understood this message that we've been trying to discuss and how they internalized it. I think you can probably say, count with the name, if you really stretched it, 200 and... 34 or something but we've just said there were thousands I might think well why don't we know their names well a lot of these Sahaba were those who, who, who only saw they were from the villages or they lived in the outskirts they lived far away so they, their only time with the Prophet would have been in Hajjatul Wada remember in how many Sahaba were they in Hajjatul Wada Okay, over a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand. Do we know the name of a hundred thousand Sahaba? No. So a lot of them, that was their only kind of interaction. They, maybe they accepted Islam much later on. And they, or they lived far. They weren't always there present. So 
un, number one. So number two, because of, so okay, so that was their only interaction. Number two, maybe they did narrate from the Prophet wasallam, but their narrations haven't reached us. Thus, we don't know their names. How do we know the names of Sahaba? The way we know the Sahaba's names is through narrations. But not every Sahabi narrated as much as Abu Hurairah did, for example, or Anas ibn Malik, or like Aisha. And even if they did, a lot of Sahaba's narrations haven't reached us in the way the others have reached us. So that's another reason that, so we can't dismiss just because we don't know their names. It's like prophets, how many prophets came? It's exactly the same. How many prophets are there? We know there were approximately 120, so again, more than 100,000. How many names do we know? We know more Sahaba names than we know our prophets. The Quran mentions 25. Under the books of Tariq and maybe Hadith mention a few more. How many are you going to say? 30? Maximum 35 names. You will know probably from other uh, Israeliyat or biblical sources. Uh, but again, we don't know the names because we've not been informed of them. So that doesn't mean that they weren't. So there's a large number of Sahaba who visited the prophets at the uh, Asham and Baytul Maqdis. And um, yes, so this is something that we learn how they internalized uh, this idea of the importance of Asham and Baytul Maqdis. Why did they go? What was the reason for going? We'll be speaking about that, inshallah, in the lessons to come. So it's a very interesting topic. Uh, which we, you know you've, has probably not been looked at in this kind of way. We speak about Sahaba in general, but we're speaking about a very specific uh, area uh, in the life of the Sahaba. So because we've touched on Sahaba, um, this week's campaign is very special. It's very personal. It's to do with every individual. And do you know how um, some of you will be familiar with the personality traits that we have as human beings. There's ways to measure your personality trait. Um, 16 personalities. As human beings, we, have, we could have there's 16 different personalities. Are you extrovert? Are you introvert? What, what kind of person are you? This is very important to know yourself. It says, whoever knows themselves will know Allah. Man arafa nafsahu, faqad arafa rabba. This is the first step in self-development and becoming a better person and in tarbiyah that you need to know yourself. Most of us don't know ourselves. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we really are. And sometimes, I mean, we can listen to loads of lectures but still not make any difference or change in our lives. And the reason is the first step to change is to know yourself, to know who you are, what's your reality. And if we've been telling ourselves a different kind of a story about I'm this kind of a person or I'm this, we don't really know who we are. So this is why these kind of tests are very interesting. Because, because you're asking yourself certain questions and it gives you a breakdown of what kind of a person. You know, it's quite scary actually, because it does describe you exactly as you are. So that's a different one, um, the 16 personality traits. But there's been an Islamic twist been given to this by Yaqeen Institute. You know, Sheikh Omar Suleiman and Yaqeen Institute. So I really want everyone to do this. Uh, this is very interesting. So it's basically, um, it's a spiritual personality quiz. So these are um, specialists, doctors, psychologists, Muslim experts, and they've taken this model and they've tweaked it to see how we can give it an Islamic twist to know your spiritual personality trait. What's your spiritual personality? What kind of a person are you? And then what they've done is then they've matched you up with a Sahabi and a Sahabiyya. That which Sahabi can you resonate with? Which so Sahaba are all inspiration for us. But if we could take one that's quite similar to what we have inside us, that would be much more inspiring. And we could think, okay, that's quite, it's quite motivating as well. Think, oh, wow. I've been paired up with this particular Sahabi. So, um, <clears throat> if you go on, if you type in uh, spiritual personality quiz, Yaqeen Institute, I've got the link on here, but um, it'll probably be a while since I send this particular message because I want to send the previous ones first. But if you go on, uh, just in Google, write spiritual personality quiz, Yaqeen Institute, it'll, it'll come up at the top. And just follow the instructions 
and then go at the bottom and say you want to take the spiritual spirituality um, uh, spiritual personality quiz and once you go on there there's 21 questions there'll be 21 questions uh, multiple choice about you and once you answer these what will happen is it will give you your spiritual personality type what type of a person are you spiritually and then it will give you two sahaba who had that kind of spirituality trait within them a sahabi and a sahabiya male and female it will also show you what kind of role you can play in the world to make a difference and then there will be an action item given at the end so next week inshallah when we get together i'm going to be asking you we'll be going around going to ask you um what's your spirituality trait number one number two which sahabi and sahabiya were you paired up with number three uh, what was your action item and number four it's going to give you what how you can uh, what role you can play in the world to make it a better place so everyone's going to do this inshallah okay spiritual personality quiz yakin institute you type that in it'll come up straight away i can see some of you have already uh, managed to find it and this is the original traditional way of doing things. It will never ever, even with the metaverse coming out, this is not going to die out. Pen and paper. So everyone learned this from Maulana. This is going to be the original. In the first wahi. Okay, the one who taught by the pen. This will always remain, no matter how much we advance technologically. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. So now inshallah we can read some Quran. And uh, yeah, it's, it's time to read some Quran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In terms of um, the news from this week, uh, some news items. Um, since we, we already know that the situation uh, in Palestine, in particular in Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, is becoming worse over time in terms of uh, the how the occupation is imposing different restrictions on Palestinians and then trying to have kind of dominance should I say in terms of having making it out as if it's an equal space for Muslims and for Zionists to come in and pray and in, initially it was just visiting and during COVID they've taken full advantage of COVID full advantage so during COVID what's happened there's been no outside uh, foreign travelers there um, the only time it opened was the 1st of November so you've got from March 2020 all the way till now November and even then last week I mentioned, I think, a friend of mine, a um, very good friend of mine, he was one of the people to actually travel there. He just got back a few days ago. And he was telling me he was, he was the only person he felt from the whole Muslim world. There was no, no one else from any country. There was no one. He goes out, it was just me. And he goes, inside Masjid al-Aqsa, he goes, there were times when there were more non-Muslims than Muslims. So non-Muslim tourists and then the Zionists that come in. Um, so he goes, it's a very sad state of affairs and there's a great need for people to understand and open their eyes up to what's happening and in your own capacity as and whenever you can to be there, to be present. And what's happening now is it, it's becoming more easier with the absence of Muslims, it's becoming more and more easier for them to take over. What they've done very recently in the past week is they've passed a law where Masjid al-Aqsa is now going to be part of the school curriculum. So the Zionist education system have managed to convince the government to include that as part of the school system where educational visits, religious visits will be all part of their curriculum. So every child growing up, when they visit other places, that will be something that they do as a trip. And not just as a trip, but a religious visit from a young age. And it's going to be their part of it. Um, so 
they've done that and, and, and that's been implemented in not just one area many different areas as well um, in terms of this is going to be a regular study the Temple Mount will be part of their curriculum so it's going to be there every child will learn about it and what it means to them and they're going to go through this rigorous process of just understanding that this is ours and this is our heritage I, what I find quite strange is the more they're getting more and more into it we're getting more and more further away from it right. the more they're getting to know more it's like they're spending their whole lives um, sacrificing every penny giving up their residence in other parts of the world and giving up everything and going there you've got birthright tours you know they, they have so many they call them the birthright tours thousands of people uh, are taken on this and it's fully funded where you, you've got a right to be there it's you, you're entitled to be there so and they take them there this was the place of your ancestors and they link themselves to it they feel for it whereas we have so much heritage there that goes way beyond uh, anything they're claiming so this is something that's happened very recently and it's, it's, it's worrying and it should wake us up to see how much we should be doing for ourselves, for our communities, for our children instilling the importance of these places. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. We're already, we've already lost so much of it and it's being taken away faster than we can even imagine. And these incidents that are happening now are only making it that much more easier. With no one being there, they're getting along, uh, away with a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> so that's one thing. Secondly, um, just this week as well, another thing that's happened is, uh, again, they've given the go-ahead for another illegal settlement to be built in Jerusalem. Um, so you're hearing about Muslims being told to de demolish their homes, but these settlements are only increasing in number. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of the graveyard of numbers. This is another thing we find where if they decide to... Uh, again, one is they'll kill somebody. Okay, they believe somebody's done something wrong by going and, you know, stabbing somebody, shooting somebody. You know, we, we're not we're not approving of any kind of violence. Not at all. We don't. That's not what we do. We are Muslims, and from the masjid, we don't agree. We don't approve of any act of violence. Um, that's and you know, we don't take the law into our own hands. This there's a process that you go through. Um, so we don't approve of any kind of violence. We're people of peace and that's what we want to see regardless of which part of the world we're talking about. Um, however, there's a way of dealing with people who you believe to have committed a crime as well. But there it's, it's a command like shoot to kill. Anybody they feel, you know, they, they can be suppressed in different ways but they just, they just kill them on the spot. And what happens is, that's fine. You know, that's, that's their standard, they, they want to do that. But what, what goes beyond that is they then dehumanize these individuals. That the individual has committed a crime according to them. But then they harass the parents, they harass the brothers, they demolish the, the, the family home. The family haven't done anything. So they'll they demolish the family home and then they will refuse to hand over the body of this individual. Currently there are more than 200 bodies, Palestinian deceased individuals, bodies that haven't been handed back to their families. So they can never get that closure. They can never feel that we've done a funeral, a janazah, we've never carried out the final rites for our beloved. Um, and they then get sent to this graveyard called the Graveyard of Numbers. So nobody knows where it is and even where it is, it's like it's just plots and they've got numbers on. Nobody knows who's buried where. Only they have the list and the details. Um, so this is happening today. You wouldn't imagine stuff like this happens now today. But that's the reality. It's the truth. So again, another reason for us to continue our struggle and keep making dua that Allah brings about a better situation for everybody, wherever they may be throughout the world. Let's do some dhikr and we'll uh, conclude with that. Ishraq today is around 8 o'clock. Um, Maybe we can do Ishraq after breakfast today.
الله والله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإله كم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضيت بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمة الإسلام ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم تجاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت الأعز الأكرم رب اغفر وارحم أنت خير الراحمين اللهم إنك عفو تحب العفو فاعف عنا O kind and loving Allah O most merciful Allah O most compassionate Allah Allah, O oh the greatest Allah, O oh the all-hearing Allah, O oh the all-seeing Allah, O oh the all-knowing Allah, O oh the most powerful Allah, O oh the most forgiving Allah. O oh Allah, you love to forgive sins, O oh Allah. You are the only forgiver, O oh Allah. No one can forgive our sins besides you, O oh Allah. We are great sinners, O oh Allah. However, your forgiveness is greater than our greatest sin, O oh Allah. Nothing blocks forgiveness, O oh Allah. No sin of ours can block your forgiveness, O oh Allah. No sin of ours can be so great to be able to overcome and overpower. Your, forg your forgiveness is very great, O oh Allah. Your forgiveness is huge, O oh Allah. Your forgiveness is limit limitless, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. We have hope in your mercy, O oh Allah. Your mercy has surpassed your anger, O oh Allah. You are very kind and very merciful, O oh Allah. You have let us off many times, O oh Allah. Once again, we ask you, O oh Allah, please forgive us, O oh Allah. Forgive all our sins, O oh Allah. We have done much wrong, O oh Allah. However, you love to forgive, O oh Allah. We turn to you, O oh Allah, in repentance, O oh Allah. Accept us, O oh Allah. Accept us, O oh Allah. Accept us, O oh Allah. Help, help us to overcome our challenges, O oh Allah. Help us to become better people, O oh Allah. Grant us true happiness, O oh Allah. Grant us your love, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh Allah, it's hard and we find it difficult, O oh Allah. We beg you to make it easy for us, O oh Allah. Help us, O oh Allah, to remain firm on Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Help us to live a life of taqwa, O oh Allah. Help us to always try and please you, O oh Allah. 
help us to always follow the sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam help us to be kind towards other people of allah help us to embody the sunnah character of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam help us to become better people of allah help us to become a good example of allah allah help us to stay away from your disobedience and stay away from haram of allah allah help our families of allah help our children of allah help our community of allah help the whole ummah of allah the whole ummah is in need of your help and assistance of allah at all times we are always in need of you allah we beg for your mercy of allah we beg for your assistance of allah we help for we beg for your divine help of allah always of allah we are in need of your help at all times of allah do not turn away from us of allah do not let us go allah do not leave us to ourselves oh allah oh allah if you leave us to ourselves even for a blink of an eye oh allah will be totally destroyed oh allah will become losers oh allah we need you 24 hours of our life oh allah with every breath oh allah with every step oh allah on every word oh allah in every moment oh allah ya hayyu ya qayyum ya hayyu ya qayyum ya hayyu ya qayyum برحمتك نستغيث أصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين Allah grant us the true love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Help us to revive the sunnah within our lives and within our homes, O Allah, within our communities, within our environment, O Allah. Help us to become yours, O Allah. Muslims, wherever they are suffering throughout the world, O Allah, alleviate them from their sufferings, O Allah. Help them, O Allah, sustain and protect them, O Allah. Have mercy on the ummah, O Allah. Protect the sanctity of Masjid al-Aqsa, O Allah. Protect it, O Allah. Protect it, O Allah. Protect it, O Allah. O Allah, grant it liberation from occupation oh Allah put an end to the occupation of oh Allah and make it liberated oh Allah return it to the days of glory of oh Allah let Muslims throughout the world visit it oh Allah in large numbers of oh Allah without any restrictions of oh Allah without any challenges of oh Allah without any obstacles of oh Allah make that day become true oh Allah help us to witness that day oh Allah that we can make sajda in Masjid al-Aqsa whilst it is liberated oh Allah make us from amongst the liberators oh Allah Accept us, O oh Allah, and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Accept us, O oh Allah. Utilize us for this noble cause, O oh Allah, and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Mawlana Rashid, who has passed away, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. We make dua that, O oh Allah, you grant him forgiveness, O oh Allah. Accept all his good deeds and his services, O oh Allah. Forgive his shortcomings, O oh Allah. Grant sabr to his family and the whole of the community, O oh Allah. Elevate his status in the hereafter, O oh Allah. Those others who are suffering and going through difficulty, Mufti Abu Zafar in uh, King's Heath, who is going through a difficult time in regards to his health, we pray, O oh Allah, you grant him good health, O oh Allah. You grant him afiyah, O oh Allah. And when the time comes to leave the world, O oh Allah, you grant us all husnul khatimah and to go with the kalima, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, subhana rabbika rabbil izzati, amma yasifun, wa salamun ala al-mursaleen, walhamdulillah.